On this week's episode of Read, Watch, or DNF, we hop on the orange line and head into Washington, D.C. to examine the pit of despair that is humanity with William Peter Blatty's novel, The Exorcist, and the 1973 film adaptation of the same name. And we ask the question, did Hollywood focus too much on shocking special effects and not enough on the story? Also, in the 70s, did we really believe poltergeists were science, but demons were ridiculous? That seems weird. Content warning, you know, demon, demon possessions, uh, everything that goes with that, and it's apparently pretty gross. Uh, murder, lots of the C word, and uh, moist eyes. That's in the gross. book, yeah. Moist. moist. <laughs> it keeps popping up. Everybody's eyes are moist. Ugh. Welcome back, everybody. Mel B. and Jackie D. here, about to dive into the weird goings-on in Georgetown. That's Washington, D.C., if nobody uh, was aware. Jackie and I actually live pretty nearby to Washington, D.C. We used to work in Washington, D.C., so this book was kind of fun to read because we know where these places are. Yep. This is another birthday pick from me because this is my birthday month. Um, and really, it's an all-time comfort flick for me. I know this is strange because it also falls in the category as Pride and Prejudice, but I, I would turn this movie on as a you know, background noise or just when I'm, I'm feeling like I need something. It's one of those <laughs> movies. I know, it is. Uh, you know, it's strange, but it is who I is. Just like Walmart and Target, we're getting ready for spooky season early with a marathon of scary, suspenseful, supernatural, and downright frightening adaptations. You know, as always, please like, follow, share, etc., etc., etc. We're on the social medias. We have an Instagram, a Twitter, a TikTok, and I even think there's a Facebook out there somewhere. Yes, there is. Read, watch, DNF podcast. We are dedicating our F-bombs this episode to my uncle, Mr. Uncle Stephen out there. He is a former Catholic priest. Uh, no funny business there. He just he decided it was not for him anymore. You know, everyone's like, oh, he's not a priest anymore. Why? What happened? He's diddling little boys. No, that's no, that's not what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he is about to have a movie made about him. It's very he exciting. Yeah, just got talk, done talking to the producers. It's getting sent to a screenwriter. So this is... Uh, I just want to know who's going to be me. <laughs> I, and I love how I'm like, I'm going to be in this movie. <laughs> I just... I think it's funny that we're dedicating the F-bombs to him. But after the first podcast, he told me very, very clearly, you, sh- you shouldn't use the F-word so much. Yeah, that's the iron in this. He would love it. Yeah. The fact that we are dedicating it to him. Mm-hmm. And, like, he should talk. He does not have a not potty mouth, please. <laughs> Catholic priest from New York, whatever. I mean, just reading the book, you know that that's not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the only ones that are dropping F-bombs in the book are the priests. Yeah. So, please. Please. <laughs> Jackie, what are we drinking this week? We're drinking a Captain Howdy. Captain Howie. Yeah. It's uh, some drink that Mel found. It originally calls for black cherry vodka, but because it has a Coca-Cola in it, we figured black cherry rum would be a better fit. So, mm-hmm. And then there's a 
little splash of grenadine in there. For Jackie, it's a little splash. For me, it was like, and pour, and pour. Yeah. Jackie just sort of like wafted the scent of the grenadine <laughs> into her glass. I, I put the bottle of grenadine right by the glass, and I'm like, okay, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And Jackie did find us a, yet another drinking game. And like she says, this week is actually a bit more appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Last week, not so much. Yeah. I said, we're finally getting back into the realm where drinking games are acceptable, I guess, for the mm. subject matter. Mm. Last week, mm. not so much, but whatever. Mm-mm. This one, there are actually several that I found. One of them was even a podcast, but it was 42 minutes long. I was not going to sit there and listen to the whole thing. But it's two British women, and they giggle a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this one is from DrunkenMe.com. You- oh, that, that's a go-to for us, Yeah, isn't it? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are supposed to take a drink whenever you see a cross, whenever Damien's mother is talked about or seen, whenever someone bleeds... Whenever Reagan or her mother go to the doctor, mm-hmm. every time Reagan's demonic possession is shown, i.e. head spinning around, spasms, deep voice, etc. Whenever you see the coin, whenever a priest is seen, whenever someone has demonic vision, and any time someone cries, <laughs> you're going to drink the whole time. Is this the one that you showed me and I asked, like, the drinking game should be more like... When you don't drink. Like, that should ju- they should just list those. Like, stop drinking when this happens. That was another one. I believe that was the one that was on Tumblr. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this one. Drink whenever you are legitimately spooked, which is the whole damn movie. And it actually says well, that. Well, for Jackie. Yeah. Okay. Drink whenever they say Reagan. Drink whenever there is a religious reference or symbol. Uh, whenever the main theme comes on. Anytime you see Captain Howdy. Anytime someone swears, see Captain yeah, Howdy? it says, see Captain Howdy, nope, nope, do not want. When do we see Captain Howdy? Uh, the only time you ever come close to it is when Captain Howdy is doing things to her. I don't know. But you never see him. Yeah. Uh, anytime someone swears, whenever someone says exorcist, exorcism, or demon, mm. drinks are doubled if Reagan is in the possessed state. And drink whenever they say father. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that one said, just tell me when to stop drinking. So I have watched this movie easily a hundred times. Easily. Also because my, I think I've said this before, my dad never really grasped what was age appropriate for me as a child to watch. So like if he wanted to watch it, then and if I was there, then I was watching it. So I would watch, like, Tales from the Crypt. Um, I think he's, he took me to see the first Terminator in the theater, and I, I was very, very young. Um, I was not alive in 1973, so I did not see it in the theater, but I, I believe he rented it, and we watched it <laughs> when I was a child. So, <sighs> easily, easily a hundred times, if not more. Um, so I was, uh, you know, I read it. This first time I've ever read it, but Jackie technically was supposed to read this or watch it first read it first first. read it first but um to save her we we did a watch party we huddled around jackie on the couch 
And we watched it in the middle of the day. Oh, and this watch party included our 15-year-olds. Yeah, who didn't seem to have a problem with it. Jackie may or may not have the blanket over her head. Not during the actual watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I will say, though, um, watching Jackie and her daughter watch this movie for the first time may have been more entertaining than the movie itself. Yeah, I just pictured you just standing there or sitting there the whole time watching us to see our reactions instead of actually watching the movie. No, I really was. Because I, I know what's happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. So I don't even need to have my eyes on it. I know what's happening and I know what you're reacting to. Mm-hmm. And I think the head spin, the first head spin was probably the best because you and Adibal had this pained look on your face for like a majority of it up to that point. Mm-hmm. And then when that happened, both of your jaws dropped at the same exact time. Like, and stayed there. Like mother, like daughter, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But I believe Jackie and I read the same version, the 40th anniversary. Yep. Um, I just read paperback and Jackie read Kindle, yep. like always. Yep. Did you have to buy yours or did you get it unlimited? Mm, I think I bought it. So we didn't really follow any rules to the, the show this week. No. We just, we both read it for the first time and we watched it together like good friends do. Yes. So let's talk about uh, what we actually ended up watching and reading. Let's give you a little overview of this story. Since Jackie technically was supposed to read first, we'll let her give the book. Okay, this is what I got. Georgetown, Washington, D.C. Actress and divorced mother Chris McNeil starts to experience difficulties with her usually sweet-natured 11-year-old daughter, Reagan. The child becomes afflicted by spasms, convulsions, and unsettling amnesiac episodes. These abruptly worsen into violent fits of appalling foul-mouthed curses, accompanied by physical mutation. Medical science is baffled by Reagan's plight, and in her increasing despair, Chris turns to troubled priest and psychiatrist Damien Karras, who immediately recognizes something profoundly malevolent. malevolent. I'm having trouble with the words today. Malevolent. In in Reagan's distorted features and speech, in Karras's recommendation, on Karras's recommendation, the church summons Father Marin, a specialist in the exorcism of demons, dot, dot, dot. And that's where it ends. Hmm. And from what I found, it was actually inspired by a 1949 case of demonic possession and exorcism while the author was a student. He heard about it when he was a student at Georgetown. Huh. You know what? Um, I feel like the last sentence or two... Probably mainly the last sentence in this overview is not actually true. No, because he does everything he can to try and uh, discount the evidence, come up with scientific explanations for it. Yeah, and I don't think he immediately recognizes anything no. malevolent, especially profoundly malevolent. Because so. he's, hmm, he's dealing with his own shit. Yeah, they're all dealing with their own demons. Mm-hmm. Ha ha. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Movie. This is what you get if you go to IMDb if you've never heard of it before, which I just feel like is very strange. This is one of those movies that it's like Psycho, you know? Yeah. You might not have seen it, but you know of it. Yeah. Right? Yep. Okay. But if you haven't, you know, if you go to IMDb, this is what you're going to get. It says A visiting actress in Washington, D.C. notices dramatic and dangerous changes in the behavior and physical makeup of her 12 year old daughter. Just so you know, she has a birthday. She goes from 11 to 12, so don't get, don't get sidetracked. Meanwhile, a young priest at nearby Georgetown University begins to doubt his faith while dealing with his mother's terminal sickness. 
end, bookending the story, a frail elderly priest recognizes necessity for a showdown with an old demonic enemy. That seems a bit more, that seems more accurate to the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, the tagline for this, if anyone, you know, it's like, what a wonderful day for an exorcism. Oh, isn't it always? <laughs> yeah, always. Yeah. In DC, it probably is. I did not know this. I think I suspected, but I didn't. I didn't know flat out. But this is a, a winner of two Academy Awards: Best Screenplay and Best Sound. But it was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress. I believe Best Supporting Actress, Best Supporting Actor. Like it had a bunch. Hmm. That was yeah. Could you imagine this one Best Picture? That would have been weird. We probably wouldn't be able to call it a horror film anymore. Like with Silence of the Lambs, we don't call it horror anymore. We call it a drama. Yeah. But we know for a fact that is a horror film <laughs> and a horror story, which yeah. is also another adaptation. Yep. But, you know, I digress. All right, let's get into the reviews. <clears throat> okay. On Goodreads, it got a 4.19 out of 5 average. That's just over 200,000 ratings and just under 7,000 reviews. The highest was 5 out of 5 at 46%. 1% only got one. Or one star only got 1%. Uh, And actually, uh, what you were talking about before with your dad not having any concept of what is appropriate for whatever age, one of the reviews Mm -hmm. that I found that I did not include because it was more a review of their parents' um, ability to raise them. (laughs) Uh, And it talked a lot about movies, but they were talking about how their mom took took them to see this movie at a drive-in theater as part of a double feature and the other movie was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And they lived in Texas. Oh my god. At nine years old. So that's like double whammy there because Exorcist I feel like is more of a psychological um, horror where it really makes you think about a lot of things that you can't see. Where the Texas Chainsaw Massacre now is on the other side where it is in your face blatant horror and trauma yeah. that I don't think most people should be subjected to. No. I saw the remake <laughs> when I was in Texas, and it was awful. I hated it. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Five out of five. What a fantastic and scary but fascinating book. The film with Linda Blair and Max Boncito was so far ahead of its time. I was just a young boy when the film was released and remember that there was heaps of controversy at the time. Ambulances and police were rushing to theaters because people were fainting and screaming with hysteria. In some extreme cases, priests were called. I know that the film was back in theaters a while ago and my partner and I went to see it again with our nephew and niece. They were both in their 20s back then and I recall them laughing all the way through the movie. I guess times and tastes have changed. The book is great, and the original film, too, whatever the younger generation may think. The new TV series is good, though, I must admit. I think it stars Ben Daniels as the priest. And then there's, like, a little tiger emoji face and a thumbs up. Tiger emoji face? What exorcist series? What are they talking about? I don't know. I'm going to look this up. You keep going. This is is one of your uh, do-better people. Do-better. Yeah. A three out of five. I had been meaning to read this book forever, especially since I'd seen the film years ago. 
and thought it was pretty scary. In terms of being freaked out, this book didn't quite manage that, and although I liked this book, I definitely didn't love it. There were some rather disturbing scenes in this, I will admit, and I can understand why this book is so popular, but in other parts of the book, I felt the actual writing was lame and really quite tedious. I noticed that much of the vocabulary was repeated, which really does scream laziness to the reader. I found this to be a fairly easy, mostly fast-paced read, but in this case, for me, the film was scarier. And my final review is a one out of five. This may be my new go-to example of how a story or story idea can be good or even great, but the actual execution of that idea is a, as a book is utterly horrible. The characterizations are abysmal. The dialogue is cringeworthy. The similes and metaphors should have gotten a see-me-after-class in a high school English class. It was just brutal. With an excellent movie out there, there's no reason to read this. In fact, read the script for the movie as it is far better, which is bizarre as uh, Blatty wrote both the novel and the screenplay. Okay, um, so I looked up that show and, uh, yes, and I watched it. So absolutely correct. It was so good that you totally forgot you'd watched it. I... I think I just wasn't putting the two together, but then I remember it is actually like a direct connection to the story because I believe, um, oh my God, what is her name? She was in Beetlejuice and Gina Davis. Okay. Um, she, I believe is Linda Blair's character. Like she's Reagan McNeil, but she like changed her name. Okay. I believe so. And then it's like following on from that and the two priests. Yeah. And then there was a second season that's, came in but i haven't seen it in a couple years so maybe they canceled it Hmm. um it was good though i thought it was good yeah also i think we've discussed this before probably in my incessant rambling on the build-up to when we were going to start this that the ambulances and places and police officers and like all that stuff that was called to move theaters when it came out in 1973 so i watched a documentary about rose no what was her name roseanne barr Mm -hmm. right she actually, before she became famous, she saw this with her first husband or whatever it was, and they were, like, high on drugs. But, like, she believed that she was possessed after watching this movie. That's kind of funny. It is. And she had, like, a whole episode in her documentary where she's talking about after seeing this movie and how it, like, changed her life, and she really thought she was possessed and all that. And then another fun fact is a paper I actually wrote, I think, for my undergrad, um... Where this, it was a film class, this movie actually, like, revitalized the Catholic Church. <laughs> like, numbers just skyrocketed after it. Because people are like, oh my god, I need a priest. I need Jesus. I need the Pope. <laughs> uh, and not lightweight Jesus. Extreme Jesus. Yeah, we need, like, not Catholic light. We need Catholic full-on, full-fat Catholic. Yeah. So we need full sugar, full fat. Yeah. <laughs> no, no coke or no pope zero sugar (laughs) okay movie almost about four hundred thousand reviews it got an 8.1 out of 10 with eight being like the highest percentage 10 out of 10 still one of the best horror movies ever made yes it's shocking yes it's unnerving but artistically it's a masterpiece well deserved two oscars and the countless nominations the fact that this is still watched and still shocked so many decades or so many decades on is a sign of how good it is. Five. So mid-range out of ten. Bland look at demonic possession. 
This is actually kind of funny. A little girl becomes possessed by demons. Her mother becomes upset and calls in a group of Catholic Ghostbusters. <laughs> the little girl talks funny, levitates, and makes ugly faces. The priests bust the ghosts and all live happily ever ever. What a droll film. Yawn. Well, they don't technically all live happily ever after because people There's die. There's a good portion of the characters in this movie that don't make it to the end. Yeah. They die. Yeah, I don't think that's happily ever after. No. <laughs> Catholic Ghostbusters. I like that. This last one is... There were a lot of people that just thought the movie was boring, which I think if your definition of horror film is like slasher, gory, jumpy, shocky, then this is not... You're not going to come into this and get what you want. It's it's a different type of horror film. I think, it, it, like I say, it's more psychological. But this one is funny because I don't even actually know what she's critiquing or if she didn't like the movie or if she didn't like the content. But this. Disgusting. Okay. Why does everyone think that this stupid movie is a classic? It's probably because it is. Mm-hmm. When everyone sort of agrees on that, then that becomes like the standard. Or the majority of people agree on it. So. Yeah. 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 There is no point whatsoever to this movie at all. It is about a girl who goes from a nice, sweet person to this awful-looking, murderous monster. Hence the possession. And that is kind of the point. Yeah. I particularly feel bad for Linda Blair, considering the bad reputation this movie gave her. A quote from her was, and she quotes Linda Blair, When I was young and would meet someone, they would generally seem to be afraid of me. They couldn't separate me from the monster I became in the movie. You wouldn't believe how many people have asked me to spill my head around. It says spill. Yeah. I think she means spin. Yeah. I think that in itself is the, like, true test of a good performance. It's sort of like um, Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what that actor's name is. But if I saw him in the street, I'd probably want to punch him in the face. (laughs) Knowing full well that he is not Joffrey. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it... mm, also, another one is uh, uh, Malfoy. Um, oh, Draco? Yeah. Name. Yeah. There, he said that there's so many times he'd go around and little kids that have seen the movie would be afraid of him as well. And he'd have to go over and, like, introduce himself and tell him, no, I'm, I'm nice now. Harry's my friend now. You know, like, it's called a good performance. <laughs> <laughs> I would be more anyway. afraid of his dad than I would be of him Mm-mm. from the movie. Mm-mm. Although I love, I love him. The actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-mm, I'm not afraid at all. Mm-mm. Daddy? Okay. <laughs> I thought that this movie was scary, but the special effects didn't convince me enough to think that Linda Blair could actually make her head spin. I, okay, yes! I saw the DVD where there were extra scenes, including the famous spider walk where Linda Blair walks... She. This is the problem. She keeps saying Linda Blair. Like, it, it's a character. Yeah. Linda Blair is the actress. Yeah. This is not Linda Blair... Spider walking. It is the character, and it, through special effects with the actress, they they accomplish this. Yeah. But anyway, walks down the stairs in a back bend. This was one of the most disgusting things I ever saw. And to top it off, the second Exorcist movie was even worse than the first. So now we're angry with the second movie. It has it has nothing to do with this one. <laughs> but I must say, if you are a thrill seeker wanting to see a movie that will get a few jumps out of you, then what the heck? Watch it. But if you're a person with a weak stomach, I recommend that you do not see this movie. How is the spider walk down the stairs the most disgusting thing in the movie when she freaking masturbates with a crucifix? Mm. 
What I think she means is that it scared her. Okay. Their walk down the stairs scared her. Okay. And her, she's like, oh! she gasped and was like totally put off by it. So, bitch, you were scared. Hence, this movie accomplished what it wanted to do. Yeah. It scared you. <sighs> and the quote that she had, the the quote that she has in there from Linda Blair about her talking, everybody comes up to mm. her and asks her to spin her head around. I guarantee you, those people did not actually think that she could spin her head around. It was no. joking. Yeah, it's like when you see characters uh, from a show or movie that have, like, a catchphrase, they say that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure for a while, Tom Hanks didn't go out with people asking him, like, go, run, Forrest, run! Yeah. Like, I mean, I know I would. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Speaking of separating the characters from their actors, let's talk about these characters. Okay, in the book, the characters that we had, uh, Chris, Sharon, Reagan, Father Karras, Father Dyer... Lieutenant uh, Kinderman, he's also de- de- Detective Lieutenant or Lieutenant of Detectives. I think it says he's Lieutenant of Detectives. Yeah. That was his official yeah. title in the book. Uh, Willie and Carl, uh, who are the housekeepers, and Burke Dennings. Yeah, so Chris McNeil is the mom who, when reading the book, I realized she's actually the main character. Mm hmm. Which I felt stupid for how many times I've watched this movie. And it's the first time I'm like, oh, we're supposed to care about this character. It's her story. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> Not it, everybody else. Is. The book, it flip-flops between her and Father Karras. It does a, it does a couple different. It goes, yeah. and he does it seamlessly in the book where he'll go from her to um, Father Karras. But it'll also, like, occasionally we'll get uh, Father Dyer. Sometimes we get the detective. Sometimes we get even Carl. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we got Sharon for, like, a few paragraphs mm-hmm. in there. So she, like, she swaps around in there. Yeah. Um, Sharon is the, Sharon Spencer is the, like, assistant to Chris. Because Chris is an actress. Yeah. And they're the reason they're in Washington, D.C. because she's doing a movie. Um, and they have a house that's next to the famous Hitchcock Steps. That's what they were known for then. Because mm-hmm. of a movie. And now they're known as, you know, the Exorcist Steps. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These steps have had a long and tumultuous history. Yeah. So, so Sharon is the uh, assistant, also the tutor slash babysitter for yeah. Reagan. Uh, Reagan is the daughter. Starts off eleven. There's a birthday that happens in there, and then she's well, fantastic. Father Karras, he is a Jesuit priest. If you're not familiar with Catholicism and what that means, Jesuits are um, interesting in Catholicism because they. A lot of them are doctors. A lot of them have science degrees. They follow more of the science yeah. side. You have psychiatrists, medical doctors. Um, they follow that side. You know, they're um, scientists. So that's why they're a bit strange. And actually, here's some trivia out there. Our current pope is actually the first Jesuit pope ever. Huh. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. You are most welcome. Thank you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because, um, obviously, clearly, it's because a lot of like heavy religions are like science bad. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Catholicism has a whole sect of sciencey priests, I'm sure they're not the first on the list to pick when it comes to picking the leader mm-hmm. of this church. So they're like, mm. so the fact that we have one now, pretty, pretty important. Anyway, enough of the religious lesson. Um, yeah. Father cares. He is a Jesuit. He hails from New York. Woohoo, New York. And he has, he is sort of like just done. I think he's really tested his face. He's also a psychiatrist. So he is Dr. Father Karras. (laughs) 
Then you have Father Dyer, who is another Jesuit. Um, he, I believe he is gay. Yeah, they they don't come out and say it, but they definitely allude to it pretty heavily. There's one part in the book that, that sticks out where he's talking about how he's making a joke with Father Karras. He's like, well, I'm making our plans for when, when we leave the priesthood. And Father Karras goes, why are we leaving the priesthood? He's like, or he says, who's leaving the priesthood? And he goes, the gays. The black is no longer in or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I'm like, hmm. I was like, was that and a joke he, or was he serious? Yeah, and he does flirt pretty heavily with that astronaut at the party. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh. Which I just thought was interesting because they don't introduce that at all in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess it's just the time. But yeah, he is, uh, I mean, the author thought to put it in there. I thought that was pretty wild. Detect- so the thing with Father Dyer, though, is I don't really think he's a main character. But there's like, he has parts in the book where they're pretty significant. Yeah. It's just that they're random. Yeah. Not in a bad place like they are misplaced. It's just like all of a sudden he pops up and now he's like important and then he's like just fades into the background <laughs> and he comes back out. So that's Father Dyer. Um detective or lieutenant of detectives Kinderman, he is an elderly cop that is put on He's leading the homicide investigation for Burke Dennings, who is a director of the movie Chris is In, because he mysteriously is found dead on the Hitchcock steps with his head turned around. Yep. Willie and Carl. In the movie, they're really just the housekeeper. They're husband and wife. They're Swiss. Carl has some run-ins with Burke. I guess Burke is... I don't know. I, Burke's always yeah yeah Burke's always yelling at him about like going to the movies with Goebbels and and stuff like that yeah yeah yeah. so in the movie they that's really all they are Mm -hmm. and in the book there's so much more to their story and it makes so much more sense in the story overall so I was kind of like let down but William Burke they're Swiss um, in the book, we find out that they have a daughter that's a drug addict, and there's some other stuff that's going on there. But anyway, movie, just, that's it. Except we just don't get as much William Burke. Casting. Chris McNeil is played by Ellen Burstein? Burstein? Burstein. Burstein. She has been in a lot. She has been in a lot of stuff. She's been acting since 1958, and she's still got stuff coming out. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, big thing, she was the weird grandmother old lady in Requiem for a yeah. Dream, the one that was like hallucinating. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. Um, she's also in House of Cards. She's also in Big Love. She has that face that, as uh, like, we recognize her as an older woman. Mm-hmm. That's why I didn't put two and two together right away. Then I'm like, oh my God, that is her. But yeah, she's cool. So Father Damien Karras is played by Jason Miller. He doesn't really have too much. He's been in a couple things. But he died pretty young at 62, yeah. so he didn't really have much stuff after The Exorcist. Uh, Reagan McNeil is played by Linda Blair, who I think is a pretty recognizable name and face just because of this movie. She's done a ton of stuff, but nothing that I can, like, speaks to me. I don't think I've ever seen it. It's a lot of, like, made-for-TV stuff. Um yeah, I th- the most thing I can remember is she does some things like during Halloween season where she'll host spooky documentaries or something. So, whatever. 
So uh, Father Marin, who's played by Max von Sydow, he is the three-eyed raven from Graham, uh, Game of Thrones. You know what? I did not make that connection. Mm-hmm. Holy mm-hmm. shit. Yep. So pretty big role, three-eyed raven. There you go. The fact that he's still around kicking. He's old. Yeah. He's still doing stuff. Actually, no, no, no. I think he just passed away. Maybe like a year or two ago. I think he just passed away. Um, Lieutenant William F. Kinderman. That's the detective who's played by Lee J. Cobb. So this was actually his one of his last films because he died in 1976. But he had a ton of stuff before that. He's been in a lot of older films. One of them was um, On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando. <gasps> Such a good movie. That one. Yeah. So he was a big actor in his time, but right shortly after this, he did pass away. Sharon Spencer is played by Kitty Wynn. That's the secretary. She's been in some stuff. I mean, she's still alive, but she hasn't really done anything since like 1980-ish. Um, and I don't really re- remember. I think she was in The Next Exorcist, but that's about it. Burke Dennings is played by Jack McGowan. He actually died before the movie premiered. What? So the movie premiered in December of 73. He died in January of 73. Huh. Yeah. Father Joseph Dyer is Father William O'Malley. <laughs> and that was it. An actual priest playing a priest. Yeah. But he has that face where I look at him, I feel like, oh my God, he's probably been in a lot of movies like during the 60s and stuff. No. He was in this. I think he was in The Next Exorcist. And then he was in a documentary about The Exorcist. Oh, and then there's a movie called the This Christmas or something, but I don't really know anything about it. Okay. So Carl Rudolf Schindler, he is, um, he shares a birthday with you, Jackie. Yeah, I know. I, I saw that. <laughs> and he is uh, not Swiss, like he keeps demanding in the movie. He is actually German. And he has done a shit ton of German movies dating back to the early 30s i was no actually late 20s i think because i was looking i was looking at the filmography and there's a whole period between like eh, 1935 and like 1943 where you can't Mm -hmm. you can't hyper nothing is hyperlinked i'm like yep Mm -hmm. can we say propaganda movies oh propaganda movies that's what he was doing but maybe he found Jesus after that and decided yeah. to do this random American movie. It was just so odd. Because yeah. even after that, he's just doing German movies. So I don't... Okay. Yeah. Alright. Let's get into the plot of this. Because it's, it's a hefty one. For really something that only spans the majority... Okay. So the story itself, I think, spans over a couple months. Because it's like the lead up when she's going Linda Blair that is the Reagan is going to the doctor and then the exorcist in the book takes about a few days um but the majority of the action per se like when it climaxes is I think only maybe 48 hours Mm -hmm. stuff so but there's a lot there's a lot that happens and more so in the book than in the movie so we start off with introducing sort of all the characters, kind of. Like, we get Chris, she's an actress. We get Burke Dennings, who's a director. They're on set at Georgetown. We see a glimpse of Father Karen, Karis, um, Reagan, Sharon, like, the housekeepers. They're in the house. It's like, happy family, right? We see Reagan, like, in her playroom, which I was like, she's 11. Do 11-year-olds still have playrooms? But, you know, whatever. I think it's more of, like, a craft room. Yeah. She's making sculptures and stuff. Yeah, yeah, 
she's in the basement with the washer and dryer. She's putting clay together and painting shit. Which I respect because I'm the same way as a mother. I'm like, no, can you not do all of that? Like, I respect your artistic creativity, and I love it, and I want to nurture it. But can you do that next to the water heater (laughs) and away from everything else? (laughs) Yeah, so she's down there doing stuff. Um, So I think for the most part, the beginning of the movie is pretty similar we get that some weird stuff starts to happen in terms of uh, Chris starts to take her to the doctor because she thinks she's acting out and being a little, um, her grades are dropping with school and she's lying. She, she, uh, Chris thinks that she's lying about stuff and hiding things and fibbing about whatever. Like, it's just normal kid stuff but a parent you're looking at and you're like oh I should probably nip this in the butt before it gets bad Mm -hmm. and then I got like a crackhead living under my house kind of deal Um, so she starts to go to the doctor and this is where it separates from the book a little bit where I wish they would have added this you know the medium that's in the book yeah when they have that party okay so in the movie you have the party Everyone's there, like Father Dyer's there, um, Burke Dennings, he's calling Carl a Nazi, he's fucking drunk out of his mind. Um, and it's at the house, so Reagan is like supposed to be upstairs sleeping. And she has this scene where she comes down um, towards the end of the party and is like, you're all going to die up there, and just starts pissing on the carpet. Yeah, like she's talking to the astronaut, channel. and I actually read something that the astronaut is a one of the two main protagonists in another book by this author. Mm. Which they don't really, they don't give the astronaut a name in the movie, but he he figures yeah. pretty heavily. And it he, it has to do with him going to uh, an asylum uh, because what she said to him at the party drives him so crazy. He just could never get over it. He, oh, that's from Legion then, right? The next book? Um, I, no, it, it wasn't called that. I'll, I'll look it up. But, oh, yeah. okay, because... This book is a duo. It's a duet. So this one, it's Exorcist, and then the second book in this is called Legion. So I guess it's just another book in the universe. Yeah, so she's like, you're all going to die up there, and then just start, like I said, pissing on the carpet like a Cocker Spaniel. And they're like, oh my god, what? And I think now reading the book, the movie feels a little disjointed to me at this part. Like, okay, why are we doing a spinal tap all of a sudden? Like, she just pissed on the carpet. Like, I didn't think that warranted a spinal tap. But, you know, I don't know. I wasn't a doctor in the 70s, so I don't really know. Maybe that was the go-to. Everything was like, oh, my God, my daughter called me a bitch. Spinal tap. Like, maybe that was it. <laughs> but in the book, it makes so much more sense. Like, the timeline is a little bit smoothered out. She, Chris... McNeil, she had a son previously that due to, like, I I think giving the wrong dosage of medication or something killed him. So she has a very wary outlook on medicine. And I feel like they would have introduced that even slightly in the movie. A lot of things would have made sense of why she was so apprehensive about certain things, why she would only go to one doctor, um, why she didn't want to send her daughter away to some of these facilities, which actually in the book, she does go to one of those facilities and but Chris goes with her and I think she's there for a couple weeks or something and comes back but um she has the one doctor where and this makes sense to me because in the 70s I could understand how mental health it's like still like a really really new um 
like they're trying to be better at it, but it's not there yet. So when she's asking, like, should I take her to a psychiatrist? The doctor's like, wait, you know, let's do the simplest thing first. Maybe it's something internal. So they're running all these tests and they're convinced like, oh, maybe it's a lesion. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that another spinal tap. Who knows? And everything's just showing up perfect. She's passing all these tests with flying colors, but then we start to get more of the behavior change because when the doctors come to talk to Chris about the results, he's like, yeah, you know, her obscenities. And Chris is like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, yeah, she's cursing like a fucking sailor in there. And she's like, well, give me an example. Tell me what she said. And he's like, oh, well, okay. Well, when I was examiner, she said to keep my fingers around <laughs> away from her cunt or something like that. <laughs> she's like, what? Yeah. I'm not going to lie, though, the reaction she has in the movie and in the book where she starts to, like, giggle and chuckle a little bit would probably be my first reaction as well. <laughs> and then to, like, the like you start to be mortified. But at first I'd be like, did she really fucking say that? No way. <laughs> so we, we get that. Um, and I think in the movie it makes it seem like all these medical procedures are making her behavior worse. Mm -hmm. I didn't get that from the book. So I don't know if this was something the movie they were trying to sort of push, like, you know, maybe medicine isn't always the answer. But the book didn't really give me that vibe. I don't know. Did you get that vibe? Maybe with the the medication, the Ritalin, Mm. was trying to say, well, the Ritalin is probably going to make it, making this, is probably making this worse. By the way, the uh, book is called The Ninth Configuration. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the movie that he directed. Oh, okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Next year. <laughs> yeah, because they start on the Ritalin because they, they, I guess is what they called it. I forget. I even forget what they called it. Um, essentially ADD, ADHD. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, it's blah, blah, blah. Because he said, she goes, is it a... What'd she say? Is it a tranquilizer or something? He's like, yeah. no, it's a stimulant. Yeah. And she's like, a what? Like, she's fucking off the wall as it is. He's like, no, no, that's what people think. It's because it's the brain's reaction to not being stimulated enough or something like that. And she's like, whatever. You're the doctor. So they do that. Um, and I think where it starts to hit home is the um, when they bring her back from the facility, right? In the book, but in the movie she doesn't go, but in the movie she has the doctor come to the house and he brings, I believe, a psychiatrist with him. He's a hypnotist or, yeah. Um... Oh, wait, wait. No, no. It was, first it was a neurologist. It yeah. Was another neurologist. And then the two of them together are like, oh, shit. And they bring in a... They said he was a... But I guess that's what psychiatry was at that point mm-hmm. to a degree. It was like, we're going to hypnotize her. Yeah totally legit medicine here. yeah and then they started they started throwing around the uh dissociative di- uh, identity stuff and mm-hmm. and things like that yeah which actually from the book is really cool reading all this obviously i would assume that uh, there have been there's been progress made in these fields so probably things have changed but reading these um sort of layman like descriptions or diagnoses of these different conditions i thought was pretty cool yeah where they compare like what dissociative person or multiple personalities is to schizophrenia, where they're yeah. like, no, schizophrenia is like fractured identity, mm-hmm. where multiple personalities or dissociative or whatever is like where 
there's enough cohesion that they just start to form other like they're they're all whole yeah they're just separate from each other um big sort of uh at also at the same time we're hearing about these desecrations in the churches that are around the area the black mass it's the black mass um where that sort of brings Father Karras into it. We've got the lieutenant coming in, the detective. But also big thing at the beginning here is the death or alleged murder of Burke Dennings. So uh, Reagan's at the house. They're trying to do all these different medications, trying to put her on stuff. Um, so Chris goes to the hospital with the doctor to look at the test. Sharon is supposed to have the prescriptions and medical equipment deliver to the house the pharmacy won't deliver so sharon has to go get it herself but in the midst there at some point burke denning shows up at the house because he wants to see chris sharon's like hey chris isn't here right now but she should be home any minute i need to go pick this stuff up reagan's upstairs heavily sedated can you just hang out apparently he's like sure why not chris gets home then there's a call that burke is dead on the Hitchcock steps. It plays out a little differently in the book. Like, it's not so rushed and sudden. Um, like, she comes home, she finds Reagan in bed, asleep, the window's open, shutter's weird, she closed it, nobody's in the house, and Sharon comes home, and then they're like, all right, cool, yeah, this fuck sucks, and they're, I don't know, I think they just start drinking. That's, like, something they do throughout the whole movie. I don't judge it at all. I feel like I would be the same. I would be drinking heavily if I was dealing with all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then more so when it starts to progress. Yeah. But that's where they get the call, like, hey, Burke is dead. And I think nobody at that time suspected anything of Reagan. But in the movie, it makes it seem a little bit like, ooh, that's very strange. I think they're just trying to speed up the timeline of the plot, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, now there's a scene, depending on which version of the movie you've seen, you might not have witnessed it. If you watch the original cut of the movie, it's not in there. But the scene is in the book. It is in the 2000 um, remastered release uh, called The Exorcist, the version you've never seen before, or something like that. And the scene is, Reagan comes down the stairs, backwards, crawling, like something out of the grudge or the ring, (laughs) down the stairs with like blood coming out of her mouth. It is quite shocking and a a bit horrifying in the movie, but I would say the book, how it tells it, gave me more creeps. If I were Sharon in that book, I would have left the house and never come back. Yes. Yes, you're absolutely right. And that's a big question I have is why didn't she? Yeah. Because really what's happening in the movie, it makes, if you've seen this cut, it makes it seem like they hear something and then they both look to the stairs and they see, you know, her coming down. They're like, mortified, scared, frightened. Yeah. But really how it plays out in the book is Sharon goes upstairs to check on something. She's coming down. Chris is waiting for her downstairs. She's sitting like by the bar or whatever. And she looks and she's horrified at what she's seeing. And Sharon looks at her and goes like, what, what's the matter? Turns around, doesn't see anything. Because what's happening is Reagan is following Sharon down the stairs like this. Mm-hmm. Backwards bend. And then proceeds to follow Sharon around the house in this form for untold amount of time. That, to me, is way more frightening than just a, you know, three-second clip of her coming down the stairs. Yeah. That, to me, makes me, like, makes my skin crawl. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it. 
So, book one, movie zero. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now we are moving, and just if anyone hasn't read the book, the book is, like, broken up into parts. There are four parts where we get the beginning, like, the behavior, two as it starts to progress, and we're getting a little bit more into... um, Maybe this isn't just medical. Three is now um, Father Karras is very heavily involved trying to hunt down what this is. And then four is obviously the um, exorcist or exorcism that happens. So we're moving out of the phase where it all seems like it's behavioral and medical where we're like, you know what? This doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. And even in the movie, the doctors get to a point where they're just as frustrated with the results. And they go to Chris. They're like, um, are you religious? Do you guys, you know, do, do, have you found Jesus? Do you want to talk about it? No, they don't do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they're asking, like, are you religious? Is Reagan religious? Do you go to a church? Do you identify as anything? She's like, no, I'm an atheist. Reagan is too. I mean, Reagan knows about it, but we're not religious. And like... Um, have you ever heard of exorcism? And the way he says it in the movie, too, like, has this sort of drawl, almost like a cowboy, like, have you heard of an exorcism? <laughs> like, it was so strange. <sighs> uh, in the book, I think it happens, it, I think the book happens more naturally than it does in the movie. Yeah, and I think also some of the motivations behind it in the book, while not explicit, it was more of a whole, okay, we still think that this could potentially be something psychological. So why don't you go ahead and see if the church will do an exorcism because the power of suggestion could make this all go away. And and Father Karras even says stuff like that. Yeah, that's where, because now we've moved away, where the doctors have moved away from it being sort of pathological in terms that it's with the body, and that we are now moving into the psychiatry and psychology side of it. But it it's so extreme where they're like, hypnosis didn't work, um, these psychiatric medications aren't really working, like maybe this type of ceremony, they call it, um, can be suggestive enough to change her mentally. Um, so they're not thinking about it like, oh, she's actually possessed. Even Father Karras is not looking at it like that. They're, they're not thinking there's an actual demon in here. They're just like, maybe this type of ceremony and process will be enough to like get her back home. <laughs> My question, though, is as the book co- progresses, they keep giving her this sedative. And they keep mm-hmm. giving her more and more and more Mm -hmm. to the point where she should be in a coma and that's like actually the fear towards the the book it's like oh shit but (laughs) we've given her too much obviously still aware alert enough to be saying these things doing these things and stuff like that with having conversations actual conversations with people at what point do you start to think oh wait no maybe maybe this is a demon (laughs) because if you I'm with you. I'm with you as well. And I'm by me, like, yes, I was raised Catholic. My uncle was a priest. But I am by no means, like, believe, you know. But I just feel like, me personally, I feel like there is stuff out there, right? Like, just shit you can't explain. Maybe it's not necessarily a demon, but it's something. Where in the book, they tried so hard. um, And I, I don't think, like, the author's trying to pose an argument. I think he's 
highlighting this argument where we try so hard as the humans to especially progress humans with all these advances in technology where we're trying to say, no, it has to be this. There's got to be a reason. Okay, we have this. And obviously, then you start talking about like telekinesis mm-hmm. and um, ESP and all this stuff and poltergeist. That's what I was like, wait, this is okay? This is science? We're like, yeah, especially when teenagers are super angry. Like, <laughs> they can make and things move. I'm like, The what? hormones. All the hormones. Yeah. And the, the way that the doctors are talking about it, it's almost like the author is making fun of it. Like, this is what these people, they would rather believe that than even give an inkling to suggesting that maybe there's something else out there. So they try so hard. And the fact that exorcism comes up as like another almost medical treatment Mm -hmm. to use, I thought was funny. Like they're, they're talking about a ceremony that's done primarily by like Catholics and um, a lot of like uh, stricter Jewish Faiths, mm-hmm. but there's it's been known all around the world. Uh, tribes uh, they talk about in the book where like everywhere from like Asia to Africa to you know the Siberia over back to America, like it's it's everywhere and it's always the same. Um, but they're saying, well, this we'll use it as like a medical tool, like it's it's our idea, it's going to fix it. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, this is so ridiculous. Uh, so even Chris, as a mother, is sitting there and. I like the way she's portrayed in this point because everything is so absurd, but she's so frustrated and desperate to do something for her daughter, which I think you and I could probably, that resonates with us, where you're like, you know what, that does sound batshit crazy, but sure, mm-hmm. why not? Let's do Just it. Just do something. Let Try me, something. <laughs> yeah, let me break yeah. my rosaries out and get like, sure, I'm down. You know what this makes me think, though? Uh, next time Annabelle has like some kind of mental breakdown or something i'll be like do i need Mm. to call a priest do we need an exorcism i do know one is is pazuzu in you (laughs) yeah pazuzu the demon oh let's not be too happy when we say that name who knows i'm sorry (laughs) so chris goes you know what yeah let's let's do it so she gets in touch with um father karis she's seen him he and the reason she's heard about him because his name's been brought up where he's did a paper on some black mass that sort of relates to this these desecrations that are happening in a church nearby. Um, so she's like, Well, maybe he's he would know about exorcisms. Let me go get him. And he is like, Bitch, she meets him like undercover on some bridge on, on like key on the key street, bridge the, yeah, her, the key bridge, the key, yeah, the key bridge. And he and she's like, well, um, how does one go about getting an exorcism? And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, first first she goes, if I talk to you, or if somebody were to talk to you about somebody else, hypothetically, of course, um, would you be required to go to the authorities if you thought a crime oh, had been crime. committed? And he's like, well, I might encourage them to go to the authorities. Yeah, because I think he said, like, if it were a matter of confession or spiritual guidance, yeah. no, I wouldn't. Yeah. But I would definitely be like, mm, maybe. You should go Maybe talk if you want to get in good with yeah. Jesus, you should do that. <laughs> or just go, what would Jesus do? <laughs> let's First, start by not someone. kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, let's let's backtrack. Yeah. Okay, but since we've already missed that, let's, okay, I guess we're on to the next step. Um, so then she brings up the extras and he's like, lady, what the fuck? 
Because he, he not only is dealing with his own demons because his mother did die, he feels bad about leaving her up in New York, but he didn't leave her, like, on purpose. He, he basically, like, he joined the priesthood, which is essentially, like, joining the military. You go where they tell you to go. Yeah. Um, and he's struggling with that, and plus they send him through all these medical schools. He's a psychiatrist, so I think he's just on that cusp of, is this real? So now he's got this crazy actress lady coming to him on a bridge incognito saying where can i get an exorcism mm-hmm. like where can i get some heroin <laughs> i think he would have been more open to that question yeah. than the exorcism but he's like let me let me go look at your daughter like let me go meet her and she's like well as a priest or as a psychiatrist he's like as a psychiatrist like and there's a quote in the book where he talks about um a statement that is made where by the catholic church saying is more responsible or whatever to seek um, medical help Mm -hmm. for someone before spiritual or something, something to the lines of that effect. And she's like, and he's like, do you know when that was? And she's like, no, when he's like, it's basically in the 16th century, like 1580 something. So he's like, this is not a new concept where the church is like, you know, how about we don't strap your child to a bed and, you know, douse them with holy water and scream, you know, scripture at them Mm -hmm. like why don't we try something else first so he goes there as a psychiatrist and he he walks in and now this is like the first glimpse of the movie that we get of her where she's like really messed up she's got the feeding tube in she's strapped to the bed she looks like absolute death and apparently was very cold in the room and it stunk to high heaven yeah Yeah. just smelled cold and he walks in he gets his first like whoa this is not what I was expecting. Um, but the doctor side of his brain and the sort of faithless side is like, okay, let's figure this out. So he starts talking to her. She says some weird shit. She says some like gibberish stuff. Talks about his mother. Says some stuff that is weird. But he, in the book, because you get his internal thoughts, like he is trying to argue it at every step, mm-hmm. right? He's like, okay, well, she knew that my mother died. Well, how would she know that? Here's what's in the book that fucking gets me. He would rather accept that she is reading his thoughts than her being possessed. Yeah. Like, well, she obviously she read my thoughts. I spoke to her in Latin. She spoke to me back. But I was thinking about the Latin answer. So that's where she got it from. Is it just me or is that also not fucking weird on its own? That's very weird on its own. Because what 11-year-old or 12-year-old child knows how to converse in Latin? Yeah. Or read your thoughts yeah. to get said Latin yeah. and say it perfectly. Yeah. At that point, I'm more of the, like, she's a witch, burner. Like, let's just get it over with. <laughs> let's do a little test first. I mean, yeah. there's a river right outside. We can see if she Yeah, floats. let's go to the Potomac. Let's, let's get this figured out because yeah. this is fucking weird. But he's okay with that. He is okay with the idea of her reading her thoughts. He's like, well, the, obviously it's not possession then because she's just reading my thoughts. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Wait, this house? <laughs> what? But okay. Yeah. Fine. I'm along for the ride. Let's go. So he, this is where I think the book does a better job of explaining like what's actually happening than in the movie. Because when he's like in the sound lab listening to her recordings, you're kind of like, oh, okay, like, cool. But in the book, he's explaining that they're trying to do linguistic analysis of her speech patterns versus like what she was before versus her now and if they're the same and what are these languages like that makes sense where in the movie it's just kind of you know it's like a montage of 
priesty medical stuff. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, before montages, I think, were a really big thing. So. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> the Exorcist okay. ahead of its time. Yeah. And then Rocky came along and yeah. was like, oh, I'm going to use this montage thing. It's going to yeah. be great. <laughs> Another thing, I think, in the book that is not explained because it's not like, hey, this is what's happening. It's just presented clearly, more clearly, is... When she is doing that sort of like English accent, the British accent, when she's turning her red around and her head around and yelling stuff, that's Burke Dennings, mm-hmm. which I never got that in the movie. No, I didn't either. Yeah. And I've seen it, like I said, a bunch. It's like, you want to know what your daughter did? Your cunting daughter? You know? It's because that's where Chris realizes, oh my God, she killed him. Mm-hmm. Because in the book, it's more clear when she does that, she's going around, she's, she. She's talking like Burke Dennings. She, her eyes look like Burke Dennings. Burke Dennings, um, and the way the head spins around is, you know, a callback to his head being twisted around when he fell down. And I was like, reading the book, I appreciate. I was like, holy shit, that's what's happening there. So, Father Kara says he's doing all these examinations. He thinks there's like three different personalities that are coming about. You get like the Burke Dennings. You get like the demon. And then there's something else in there. I don't know. But I think there's about three. So now we move into the part where Father Karras is like, maybe an exorcist or an exorcism is what she needs, but not because she's possessed. He still doubts that she's actually possessed by a demon. And I really don't think there would have been anything that could have convinced him otherwise. He was just so dead set on her not being well, possessed. Well, because at the beginning of the book, they talk about how he's struggling with his faith. So how can somebody yeah. who is struggling with their faith in God believe that a demon could possess a human? And mind you, the whole time she's interacting with him, she is doing shit that is just not humanly possible. And he's still finding, well, I guess it's telekinesis. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> She's just reading my mind. What? No, she's upset about mommy and daddy's divorce. That's... Yeah. Whatever, dude. Yeah. Um, so, he now says, okay, let's pursue the exorcism. But he's doing it as, like the doctor suggested, as more of a clinical response to this, where maybe this can help. Because in the book, there's apparently, like, a book that she read... And it's that medium that we were talking about how they didn't introduce her really mm-hmm. in the movie um, where you get that first glimpse in the book when this medium sort of interacts with her. I think she touches her hand yeah. and she gets real weird, yeah. right? Um, and there's some interactions. The medium gives her this book about like demons and the occult and all this other stuff where Father Karras believes that maybe Reagan read this book and that's what suggested her, you know, that's where she's getting this knowledge of possession and stuff from. Anyway. So now he's going to come clinically to to do this exorcism. He goes to the church. They agree. Um, Which, I don't know. Okay, I'm not an exorcist, all right? I'm also not, like, a priest or a nun or anything. I I don't know. I could ask my uncle, but I feel like he wouldn't know either. (laughs) I think it happened all a little too easily in both the book and the movie where they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, you think so? Okay, cool. Yeah, exorcism. Uh, We should probably get somebody that's... uh, has experience and it's like who you've been you've been denying that you're doing exorcist since like the 16th century who has experience that you know of in, immediately in the ready area like, <laughs> it just all fell together a little too nicely for me but i'll i'll whatever i'll leave it alone 
both movie and book, fine, whatever. So this is uh, Father Marin that comes in, which if you've seen the movie or read the book, up until this point, you've had glimpses of her saying that name. Mm-hmm. I think nobody's put it together. So they call him. He shows up, stoic as ever, walks in the house. And I think in the book, him coming to the house, it plays out a bit more dramatically. And not in a bad sense, not like over dramatically. I think it, it really sets the tone for what's about to happen. Yeah, because there's a lot of time where Chris Chris is describing her impressions of him and how he made her feel. And I think that holds a lot more weight than this man with a very somber face walking in and said, let's do this. Because that's essentially what happens in the movie. Yeah. yeah. I also like that the so the cover of The Exorcist with the, the it's Father Marin standing like in the lamp mm-hmm. street light street lamp and it's like misty kind of raining. The way they describe that in the book, I was like, oh, it's perfection! I'm so happy that they kept it true to that because it's such a visual mm-hmm. part, and I really like that. And just so anyone's uh, thinking or wondering, it's actually the detective who sees him and sort of paints that picture mm-hmm. of what it looks like because the detective at this point is like staking out the house he's like mm, something's not right yeah. here some shit's happening in that house yeah mm-hmm. so up until this point before father Marin gets there reagan's upstairs the demon's going crazy she's screaming she's calling carl every nazi phrase under the sun um spitting on people doing stuff but then when the, she goes quiet and that's when the knock comes at the door and it's father Marin coming in and then it's still quiet. He comes in, does introductions, and then it's just the demon scream. <laughs> and that's, I like that because you get that. It's such a great way um, through text to just paint this picture of like some shit's about to go down. Mm-hmm. And now you have this full circle connection where you're like, well, we thought it was all in her head, but this, like, it can't be. It can't be the fact that she's upstairs. Screaming the name of some priest she's never met, never known existed in her life. Mm-hmm. And the way it scream is almost like a battle cry. Yeah. Right? And you're just like, oh, this is a biblical battle, right? Like, let's go. So now we get into the exorcism part where Father Marin is very sort of like just straight, dirty, like, okay, you know how to do it. Don't don't listen to him. Don't engage. And Father Karis like, well, do you want me to give you a rundown? I'll tell you what. I mean. He's like, no, why? <laughs> I don't need it. Like, let's just go. Like, let's get our shit on. Let's get our, our armor on. We're going to go in there. Something I believe they don't do in the movie is Father Marin's first interaction with Ray. Because he gets to the house and Chris is all like, oh, do you want some coffee? Do you want this? Do you want that? And he's like, no, I'd like to meet your daughter. She's like, right now? He's like, yeah, that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Like, why, why are we wasting time? So he goes in the room, and Sharon's also in the room. You're not part of that scene in the book, but when he comes out, obviously something crazy happened, right? And then later, Sharon, uh, Chris is talking to a pretty badly shaken up Sharon and asks, like, what happened in there? She goes, oh, uh, uh, nothing. And she's like, tell me what fucking happened in there. And she's like, well, Father Mary walked in, and Reagan looked at him and said, you're going to lose this time, Father. Mm -hmm. You know? And that to me is pretty creepy. Like that to me, I, I take that as, oh shit. Yeah. Oh shit. We didn't really get that in the movie. This part of the exorcism in the movie, it's just like come in. I think it's more shock and awe that we're getting now. You know, um, sort of 
reading scripture, the the book of whatever it is, and they're, you know, the power of Christ compels you, which I actually don't think they say at all no, in the book. No, it wasn't in the book at all, because I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it the yeah. whole time, and it never happened. Yeah, they don't say that. They're, they're reading, like, the actual book, um, and they're going through it, and that's where, like, shit starts to get a little wild, and Father Karras is starting to believe, like, oh my god, literally. <laughs> What is happening? Yeah, he's getting so um, distracted, he's not participating in the actual exorcism. Yeah. And Father yeah, Marin's like, like, hey, Karis, come on, Damien. Hey, Damien. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Um, other thing that's different is this takes place, I believe, over about 48 hours plus. Like, maybe like two and a half days it's happening. Where in the movie, it makes it seem like it happens in one night. Yeah, because in the book, they talk about how it uh, kept going into the night and then the next morning and that night and even into Sunday. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was it was being drawn out, which they're not stopping like they're constantly going. And I think Father Karras actually goes back to the room to like kind of shower and get some sleep because Father Moran's like, you need to rest because this is exhausting mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Like, you need to rest so we can be strong. So he goes back, and I think on the way back, he um, runs into the detective. Well, he gets to the room, and then uh, Father Dyer says, hey, is somebody yeah. looking for you? And then they yeah, they yeah. say it's Detective uh, Kinderman. I'm like, this fucking asshole, man. He just doesn't leave these people alone. No. But also, I just want to say, can we take a moment... To appreciate how genius of a detective he is. Because he, he, he plays off like he's just this bumbling idiot. Yeah. But he's fucking... He's a mastermind. Yeah. But he's annoying. Anyway, he is annoying. <laughs> so the whole uh, length of the story that's happening is... The lieutenant is still trying to figure out who killed Burke Dennings. And he has his suspicions. But he's running down all the other leads. Before he makes this crazy proclamation that it is Reagan who killed him. Um... So one of those is uh, Carl, tracking him, finding him, finds out that they have a, Carl is sort of funding their do- uh, him and his and Willie's estranged daughter's drug habit, like to the point where Willie doesn't even know that she's alive. Mm-hmm. They think she's dead, but Carl knows that she's like a junkie living in the, this shitty part of D.C. and blah, blah, blah. So DuPont Circle with a of all foot. places. He goes yeah. to DuPont. Yeah. Yeah. DuPont. That is right. Uh, and there's some things that Reagan does with the demon where she's, like, kind of screaming at Carl in German, talking about his daughter and things like that. But anyway, the lieutenant runs down that lead, finds out that Carl has an alibi. He just didn't he didn't want to say because he didn't want her his wife, so he was lying before. Father Karras runs into the lieutenant. Well, he gets the lieutenants at the his room, and they're talking. And this is actually what's really sad, and I realized this at, when the book ended, was that the lieutenant says to him they kind of have this talk like this beater on the bush discussion Mm -hmm. where lieutenant lays out this really crazy hypothetical theory which comes down to it boils down to he thinks that reagan killed burt dennings and it has something to do with the black mass stuff and that he's like should i track this down or is somebody else handling it and father Kara says no some like it's being taken care of alluding to the fact that like a higher power a higher power is taking care of this and next him. So he leads it off and he goes, oh, one more thing. When you see Carl or Mr. Armstrong, whatever his name is, um, Carl, can you tell him that his daughter is in the clinic? Mm-hmm. Meaning that his daughter did go to the rehab clinic and she's doing, you know, she's going to be fine. 
the thing is, if you think about it, he never gets to relay that message. Because mm-hmm. when he gets back to the house, he asks if Carl's there and said, no, Carl's out on an errand. So he goes up to the room. He sees that Father Marin isn't there, and he's like, wait, what the hell is he? So he comes around to, I think he wants to take her blood pressure again or her pulse, mm-hmm. and he sees that Father Marin is dead on the floor. And that's where he sort of, like, fucking snaps. He's like, I'm, that, that's it. This, fuck this. And he sort of, like, he doesn't do this really in the movie so much like he does in the book, where in the movie he's like, no, come into me, you know, like, da, 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 you know, he's trying to strangle her or whatever. But in the book, he's sort of, like, just bucks up to her, like, oh, he's like, you're a loser, you're a weak mm-hmm. or something, like, you, you take this little girl, he's like, why don't you try somebody like me? Why don't you come into my body? Why don't you do this? And that's where, I guess, a demon's like, bet, I'm there. <laughs> I like this. And he jumps over. And visually, you get that in the movie, but it, it's, I think it's a bit more intense in the book. Takes it over. He's obviously struggling now, where now he has a literal inner demon that he's struggling with. And he essentially prevails because he throws himself out the window. Mm-hmm. And then dies on the Hitchcock steps. Well, and before he actually does die, before he finally expires, Doc, uh, Father Dyer comes over and mm-hmm. is able to give him the last rites. And uh, Father Dyer is explaining that he can he can see this almost joy and something else spark in his eyes before he passes. So it it, it kind of gives you a warm fuzzy that he he's finally at peace. He gets to rest. Yeah. yeah. By battling an actual demon. Yeah. But this is what I'm talking about, how Father Dyer is just like, he has very important scenes, but he just sort of pops up like, yeah. I'm here. <laughs> hey guys, what's up? Oh, this is happening now? Okay. Yeah. Anyone need some last rites? Yep. Okay, I'm yep. your guy. Um, and then you get the scene, it's sort of the same in the book and the movie, where Reagan's like, Mommy, what's happening? Yeah. Why am I covered in green puke? And probably fecal matter and God knows what else. Yeah, this is really quite gross. I think every other page towards the end of the book, they were talking about how Sharon was carrying a bundle of soiled bed linens. I'm like, that is so disgusting. Yeah. So gross. So gross. But um, I think a big, as a mother, I relate to this. This now resonates with me resonates with me is when Chris runs in the room after hearing all this and she immediately knows after hearing Reagan looking at her, like it's over Mm -hmm. because she's made comments earlier. Like you could put her identical twin next to her. Everything's the same, but I would know that's not my daughter. Mm -hmm. So I was like, she comes in. She's like, she knows as a mother, she knows that this is over. Her daughter is her daughter again. And it's, it's such a joyous moment, but it's also just so sad. Mm -hmm all aspects of it so that's why i say like i don't really think there's a happy ever after like i don't really think you get over that type of drama or trauma i should say and even father Karras at one point says to chris in the book he doesn't do it in the movie but he tells her like you should probably get out you need to go to sleep and actually if i were you i would stay away from her because this is might do more damage to you Mm -hmm. than it will her yeah where it's going to damage how you look at your daughter and you don't want to do that and then um you know, they leave D.C. Fuck this place. Fuck this hellhole. <laughs> Jackie and I firmly agree. We support that. Yeah, anytime anybody at work is like, hey, there's this really cool thing happening in D.C. today. Do you want to come join us? And No. No. 
No, no I don't. 100%. No. Actually, at this point, if anything has to bring me inside the beltway, you just automatically need to understand that the answer is going to be no. Yeah. The one saving grace Tyson's Corner has is the fact that it's on the outside of the beltway. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> so I am not going inside the beltway to go there. But that's even that's even a stretch for me. Like, I, hate, I fucking hate Tyson's. God, it's the worst. Yeah. Not as bad as Maryland, though. Yeah, Maryland is... This whole DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia, <laughs> as we still live and work here. But you know, whatever. Yeah. We live here. We can talk shit about it all day long. Yeah, exactly. Fuck DC. Yeah. Fuck DC. <laughs> Speaking of that, you know, we gave our reviews of DC. Why don't we go ahead and give our reviews yeah. of this book and movie? Something actually relevant to the podcast. <laughs> uh, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Uh. I'm going to go first. Okay. I'll, do, I'll do first. So the book, I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of 5. Um, it's, I think it's, a, it's kind of an easy read. Um, I don't think it's that quick of a read, um, but not super slow either. Like, you're not getting bogged down in the words. It's just you are getting a play-by-play. And also, I wonder if because maybe I've seen the movie so many times that reading this, because it is so close, that I feel like I'm reading the movie, if that makes yeah. sense. So that's, I just, I already knew what was going to happen, kind of. Some things popped out that were different. That I was like, oh, cool. So really, I didn't hate it. I probably wouldn't read it again. Um, but I do appreciate that it answers a lot of these questions. Because Jackie knows how I feel about, like, plot holes and, you know, no closure when it comes to storylines. She lines. gets very so angry. Helps. I do, because I want to know what fucking happened. Um, so it answered a lot of those questions, so I do appreciate it. Movie, I'm going to say this. If it weren't for the book, I'd probably give the movie a 10 out of 10, because it is an all-time classic of mine. But because of the book, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10, and that's because I think that the movie ignored parts of the story that were really quite important and relevant and would have probably made the movie so much better. But still love it. Mm. Okay, the the book, I'm going to say 2.7 out of 5. I know it's random. You with these points. I know, I know. It's weird. Um, I could be persuaded to bump that up a little bit, uh, but really a lot of the books seem to fall a little flat for me, but what I really did appreciate about the book was I feel like the ending had a lot more feeling than in the movie, mm. especially mm. when it came to the death of Father Karras. Yeah. I mean, that just... Also, I don't think the book um, cleared up any of the stupid movie film thing between the detectives and them no remember the super little yeah. dialogues they have like oh maybe the, the book fills that in i don't really think it did <laughs> i, I do it think was still weird what, what, what was the last movie he was talking about with father dyer was it othello oh or was it no. something else but it was it was starring Cher and sonny bono so weird oh wuthering heights yeah yeah wuthering heights with Cher and sonny bono uh, anyway, yeah. apparently the author has a sense of humor. Clearly, <laughs> the movie I'm going to say seven out of ten, which I think, considering the fact that I am not a horror person, that's mm-hmm. that's pretty high. So it's not mm-hmm. really my cup of tea. But some of the characters that I found really annoying in the book, like the detective, mm. um, and also Chris a little bit. 
because yeah, I can see. Yeah. yeah, I understand she was going through some shit, but at some point you have to stop making people think that you're just a raging idiot. Yeah, yeah. You wanted to be like, cheer up, bitch. Yeah. Uh, they were a little less annoying in the movie. So seven, mm-hmm. seven out of ten. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So when it comes to reading, watching, or not doing it at all, what's our verdict? Uh, I believe we're both on the same page. Can't believe I'm saying this, but watch. Yeah, I think watch it. Yeah. I think for for your time, the book and the movie are you're getting the same thing. I think if you want to dive a little bit deeper into the story, reading it isn't a bad idea. But just for the print, like watching it is just fine. You know what's sad? I had an easier time getting through this book than I did Little Women. I actually got a, had a better time getting through it than The Secret Garden. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not to say that it's just classics, because when we read A Mansfield Park, like, I couldn't put that down. Yeah. So it has nothing to do about the time frame of it. It's just the style of writing. Yeah. So, all right. Cool. Uh, next week, we're, we're still in the horror genre, but a little bit lighter tone. It's more gothic. more yeah, I was going to say, more gothic, because we are jumping into Interview with the Vampire, a little Anne Rice yeah, in there. Yeah, um, We're going to touch on some Tom Cruise and some Brad Pitt. Yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be so good. So good. So good. Maybe. Who knows? It's been a while since I've both read and watched that. Hmm. But I think I remember what my preference was. Yeah. I'm gonna try and to go and get a little smutty too. Oh yeah, I'm gonna try and get into this with a or go into this with an open mind. That's all we ask, yeah. Jackie. That's all we ask. Yeah. Open mindness. Yeah. But yeah, so next week, interview with the vampire, and that will bring us to a closure of my birthday month. And then we get into Stephen King. We get into Stephen King month. September. This is. Mm-hmm. But we're going to be doing, like, Stephen King, not super horror stuff, more like Supernatural, Green Mile, um, things like that. And then October is a free-for-all. It's really going to be October and November because I am getting married in the middle of October, so we're going to be out for a couple weeks, but then we'll we'll finish off strong in November. Jackie's like, I fucking hate it. <laughs> we had to throw in a lighter one at the end, though. Or, would no, that's the end of... September. September, just to ease yeah. me into it. Although we just did The Exorcist, so I don't know what my big fucking problem is. Nah, you're good. Yeah. You're strong, Jackie. Well, until then. Bye. Bye.